0: You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode.
1: And I thought tonight you deserve to hear why we've got the faith that we do. And we're going to talk about it in the faith of Abraham doesn't matter about mortality. It will come to all of us in some form. And at the moment, we're all feeling it. But the reason why we can see beyond it is because of the doctrines that we read from the Word. And this week, they've become more than doctrines. They've become practice. We realise that we need this understanding to help us through our mortal life. And Abraham, even though he lived 4,000 years ago, had his life recorded by God so that we could come back and learn the lessons about faith and how we in our mortal walks can lean on God and believe that God is watching over us. Now, I just want to start our talk tonight, just a little bit of a digression talking about faith. But firstly, when you come to the life of Abraham, a man that lived 4,000 years before Ago. Many Christians would say, really, why is his life significant to us? I want you just to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So many Christians might only have this focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they turn to the New Testament and they learn about the life of Jesus Christ. And the God of the Old Testament, they park to one side. Because really, they see it as Jewish history. But we see it as the real foundation of the origins of understanding God. You see in Matthew 1 verse 1, it begins the New Testament saying, The book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And when God starts the New Testament, he immediately points us back to an Old Testament character, David and then Abraham. So it's significant, isn't it, that when we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, and when God records all these stories about Jesus Christ in the New Testament, he does want us to go back to the Old Testament and think about the characters that were involved in the Old Testament. The other thing I just want to raise to you there in Galatians 3 verse 8 is that the gospel so often is thought about as a New Testament concept, the good news that it's been revealed to the world through Jesus Christ. Well, Paul in Galatians 3 verse 8 up there says, The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham. So the gospel wasn't something that began with Jesus Christ. No, it actually began right back where our series began in in, in Genesis 1. And God could foresee what would happen in the future. And he began to preach that good news even in the life of Abraham. And it goes on in verse 27 of Galatians 3. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We know baptism is a really significant event in the New Testament, isn't it? To be baptised and to be seen as desiring to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But Galatians goes on and says, And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Now that promise we're going to look at tonight was given to Abraham. So if you want to understand what promise you're inheriting by being baptised and being a follower of Jesus Christ, then really you want to understand the promise that God gave to Abraham. And so tonight, we're going back 4,000 years to consider a man whose life really will affect our hope in the future. The promise that God has given to all of those that are baptised and want to be followers of Jesus Christ. So it's a very, very, very relevant um, topic and, and, and life that we're going to look at tonight. Now, we've chosen to look at um, Abraham's life over two nights. And tonight, I specifically want to focus on the faith of Abraham. I want you to turn me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, of course, is known... Very well amongst us is a, a catalogue of the faithful, and if you if you haven't done it, kids, as an exercise, brilliant one to do is just to get your pencil and go through and colour in the word faith, and those are the pre-loved Bibles because the thing that God wants to stand out in Hebrews chapter eleven is faith, and faith is really really important. Why is it important? Well. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you don't have faith, it's absolutely impossible to please God. Because the first thing that faith requires is that you believe that God is For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So you've got to actually believe that he exists. So obviously God's not going to be happy with you if you don't believe he exists. So if you walk away and pretend that God doesn't exist in this world, why would he be pleased with you? Of course he wouldn't. It's exactly the opposite. You're being ignorant. You're turning your back on him. And more than that, it's not just believing that he exists. No, we please him if we believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's understanding that God exists, but it's also knowing what the promise and the purpose of God is with this earth. Because that immediately shows an interest, a seeking diligently that it's got there. shows an interest that you actually want to understand about God, not just say that, yes, God exists, but actually you want to know and to love and to grow to understand how he thinks. And that's when God's pleased with us when you really want to know and come to love and to understand him. So the question then becomes, okay, I need faith, but what is faith? And faith is defined for us in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of, Of things not seen. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. We've got up there another uh, alternate sort of suggestion, translation put together by Brother John Thomas. Faith is the confident anticipation of things hoped for. Faith is a belief where others might doubt, you believe. Okay, so put it in a concept of everyday life. You're sitting there waiting for someone to come and pick you up from the bus stop after school. Mum hasn't arrived yet. Mum's always late, right? You're sitting there, you're waiting, you're waiting. Someone says, oh, do you want me to take take you home? And you say, no, no, mum will be here because she always comes or organises a way for me to get picked up. You really believe in mum, don't you? Whereas someone that didn't have that belief would say, yeah, okay, just take me and drop me home and we'll sort it out later. But you, as a, as a kid, you've got that faith in your mum because she's always been there to pick you up. Faith is that confidence of things hoped for. You know mum's going to be there. It's the evidence of things not seen. Or As we got up there, the full persuasion. It's because mum's been there for the last three years picking you up on time You've got all this evidence that's built up a reason for you to know and to believe that mum's going to be there to pick you up. In case of the Bible, we've got prophecy. We've got faithful God's faithful um, record of how he's been faithful with people who have wanted to follow him. We stack up the evidence and we end up having this full assurance that God exists and that he will reward us if we faithfully follow him. So how does that impact our life, then, if we've got faith? Well, I wanted to give you this little story about faith. We'll read verse 3 first before we set up this story. So Hebrews 11, verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things, which just appear. So when we look at the world in faith, we believe that God was in control of creation. We believe that when God created the earth, he very much had a purpose. He had a vision of the future as to why he had created the world that way. It wasn't that people just, or, or, or things just randomly created that, that the sun just happened to be there to give us the light by day, that it just happened to be the perfect distance from the earth to ensure that there was the warmth for the seasons and for us to exist, that it just so happened to rain from the clouds, that it just so happened that there was mountains for snow to form the rivers. Now, faith says, I believe that was created for a purpose. Now, there's this really interesting uh, story Uncle Bob Lloyd and a lot of people here my age and a bit older would remember Uncle Bob Lloyd coming out here he wrote a book called Minute Meditations short little meditation where he quite often looked at life and took a lesson from it for us to think about well he came out here when I was looking after youth group and I remember him giving this little story about going to a checkout person and he, he said oh do you believe in God and they're like no and he said to them wow I really admire your faith. And they're like, hang on, I don't even believe in God. So why are you even admiring my faith? And he said to them, no, I do. Because you believe that nobody plus nothing made everything. Nobody plus nothing made everything? That's a bit bizarre, isn't it? But you know what? If you don't believe in God, you have to believe that. You know, they come up with the series of the Big Bang. Well, where did all this material for the Big Bang come from? You know, Where did this black hole begin? But they believe that nobody plus nothing made everything. But when you read Hebrews 11 verse 3 and you say, The word of God? framed the creation of the world so that we believe that things that appear aren't aren't random chance, they've actually been planned. Then you believe that God, or God's word, plus God's power, made everything. And that drastically changes the way we think about the world because these people up here believe that everything just happens randomly. Just pops out of nowhere. They just so happened that this little whatever microbe created, formed this, formed that, and ended up being a human. And watch out, because we're going to keep forming into something else yet, yeah? given a few million or billion years. Whereas this means that everything was controlled and created for a purpose. And we look at life, if you have faith believing that everything that happens in life is controlled by God for a purpose. And so we're going to consider the life of Abraham, the father of the faithful, and his, his story of faith in Hebrews 11 goes from verse 8 all the way through to verse 19. Now if you put your fingers on verse 8 and verse 19, you'll see that that's almost probably a third of the chapter. So as a, as a, as a character whose life has been recorded as an example of faith, the the author of Hebrews and God wants to pull out his example for us to look at. Now, I just want to read here, just introducing this story. Verse 8. Brother Andrew just read for us from Genesis 12. You recognise some of this. By faith, verse 8, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That's faith, isn't it? So God had appeared to him and called him out to a place he didn't even know where he was going. Verse 9, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in great cities. No, no, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations who builder and maker is God. Because God had promised him, hear my words, come out of her of the cool days, and I'll fulfill all these promises. But it didn't happen during his mortal life. And we're going to work through these promises and pick out how Abraham's faith was tested through all points in these life. And every time God spoke to him, it was just to reassure his faith that even though it might not quite seem as it was, if you believe in God, the things which God has is is working towards will appear. But not necessarily in his first mortal life, but in hope of a life which was to come. So turn with me back to Genesis 12, and we'll work our way through the the promises to Abraham, particularly looking at the faith, which he showed and learned through this. So I've already referred to the fact in Hebrews 11 that he really didn't know where he was going. Okay, So Genesis chapter 11, we've got the Tower of Babel. We've got a a world that is divided by languages. We've got idolatry, which is rampant. We've got cities like Ur of the Chaldees, which are known for worshipping idols. It says in in Nehemiah 9, verse 7, um, let me find it, that Yahweh God did choose Abraham and brought him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name of Abraham. So quite often we look at that, don't we, and we think, well, hang on. We've got all this happening in Genesis chapter 11. And we get to the end of Genesis chapter 11, the start of Genesis 12, and God decides to talk to this man, Abraham. What was it about Abraham that God saw? Why did he pick him? doesn't really matter. Nehemiah 9 says God chose him. Because God had a purpose with him. So, when we look back at Hebrews 11 and we say, you know, things just don't appear, well, they don't, because God had identified this man and his characteristics. And he chose to speak to him and to say in verse uh, 1 Yahweh said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy family and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Now, this comes into the real key promises, I guess, that quite often we consider about Abraham. We call it the conditional promises. And it's conditional in this sense. God spoke to Abraham when he was in the era of the Chaldees, And he said to him, If you hear my voice and come out of that city, then, verse 2, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I'll bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And if Abraham heard that and never left Ur of the Kordes, then these promises would never have been fulfilled. So they're conditional. They're conditional on him listening to God and believing that God was going to fulfill what these promises were about in his life. And that's faith, okay? So, so often in life, we go along wondering why God is bringing trials into our life. Why my father-in-law would suddenly be taken away when we all loved his Bible talks or we loved his sausages after, after the meeting or the, the, the friendship and, the, and, the, and the, the real counsel that he gave to us but we don't believe that things just randomly happen. We just trust that God is creating that world and directing it to fulfill his purpose. It's not random. It's a life of faith, which believes in God's purpose. And so this conditional promise, which God gave to Abraham, involves four parts to it. i held up three fingers. Four parts. I've got them coloured up there. In yellow is the first one. A national promise. I will make of thee a great nation. Now, in Exodus 3, verse 15, you don't have to turn up these quotes, or you can turn them up, depending how how much time you've got between them all. Exodus 3, verse 15 is the story of Moses and the burning bush. And there, God reveals to Moses His name. He said to Moses, "I am that I am," or "I will be." If you put it in the the other next tense, "I will be who I will be." Now that's pretty similar, isn't it, to those words we're just reading in Genesis two and twelve, "I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee. I will bless thee, and and etc. etc." Because it's It's a name that reveals a God who's got a purpose. I will be. I know what's in the future. And I know what's got to happen in your life for that future to be fulfilled. So when God revealed himself to Moses, he said, Look, my name is I will be who I will be. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Moses, when you go and speak to them in Egypt, I will be has sent me unto you. And God said more unto Moses... Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Yahweh Elohim of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. And when it says, This is my name forever, it actually means that has always been God's name and always will be God's name. So, Moses, when you go to the nation of Israel in Egypt in captivity, You tell them that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob who lived a few hundred years before that nation went into captivity in Egypt. And I am working with you as the seed of Abraham to form you into a nation, a great nation who we know becomes the nation of Israel. Now, they become a nation known as the nation of Israel, but they become a great nation In the kingdom. And that's what our second quote there in Romans eleven speaks about. Let's turn with me to Romans eleven. And Romans eleven cites a number of times from from Genesis. But here particularly we're just going to pick up about the nation of Israel. Eleven, Romans eleven, verse one. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I, Paul, am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. So 2,000 years after the life of Abraham, here in the life of the Apostle Paul, Paul is saying, God has not forgotten natural Israel. I've chosen them for a purpose, and I'm working with them. And more than that, Romans 11 goes on to speak about, in verse 26, uh, 25, that it's not just the purpose now It's not just the purpose with the nation of Israel that we see in our lives even now, but it's when Christ returns, God will still have a purpose with the nation of Israel. Verse 25 of Romans 11. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this secret or mystery, lest you should be be wise in your own conceits. Know this, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, hardness of heart. They crucified their Messiah. Yes, that did happen until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion, this is Christ. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. No longer a hard-hearted nation, but a nation that wants to know about their God. Verse 27, this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as touching the election, that's God's chosen purpose with that nation. As touching the election, they're beloved for the Father's sake. For whose sake? Which fathers? Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Because of that love for Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God's election continues to be faithful with this nation. And so Abraham is promised this in ear of the Chaldees, cool that I will make of thee a great nation. You're going to grow into a nation that will continue on right into the kingdom age and be known by all the world as a great nation. Well, the second part to this uh, promise is a personal promise um, to Abraham. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. You notice there that it uses that word thy. So it's all attached to Abraham himself. Now here we are tonight as a witness of that. Because who would have known Abraham if God hadn't written about him in the Bible? Pretty sure you won't know about me in 40 years' time if I died. Pretty sure that my grandpa, you wouldn't even know. And he only died, you know, probably 70 years ago, not even that. Abraham died like almost 4,000 years ago. And here we are talking about him. He's an example of faith. And we read about his example in Hebrews 11. That shouldn't be verse 6, it should be verse 8. We're going to look a little bit later at Romans 4, um, verse 16. But again it picks out the fact that this man, because of his faithfulness to God, hearing God's word and choosing to follow and believe that God would perform these promises with him, is a worthy man to have his life written down so that 4,000 years later, you and I can read it and learn about it and learn that it's an example that God wants us to follow. Now, the third part to this promise Is that I will bless them that bless thee, or I will curse and uh, sorry, and curse him that curseth thee? So the pronouns have changed, haven't it? Now it's focusing on how people react to Abraham. So really, what this is saying in the positive to Abraham is that God wants to create a family of people out of those that see His example and acknowledge it's a good way of life. It's the right way of life to follow God. And God says, look, if you follow me faithfully, then I make sure will make sure that around you will grow a family of those that continue to be faithful just like you are. And Galatians 3, verse 7, uh, we'll just turn these ones up so you get the sense of this. Galatians 3, verse 7. It says there, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. So, how do we get to be a part of the family of Abraham? To be his child? Or to have faith? Faith that God is and that he's a rewarder of them that faithfully follow him. That's how we show, that's how we bless, that's how we recognize Abraham's life of faithfulness. We look at his faith and say, Well, whatever his faith was, we should have a similar faith. That is, to hear the promises and to give our lives to follow them. I've already read uh, Galatians 3, verse 28 to 29. It's about being baptised into Christ and becoming heirs um, of the promises given to Christ and Abraham. Well, finally, the fourth point of this initial conditional promise is an international blessing. When do you reckon that might happen? When do you think that the whole earth will be filled with people that have the same faith as Abraham? It's the kingdom age, isn't it? Yep. So this promise is talking about The earth being filled with people that have the same faith as Abraham. And that's going to be achieved through Jesus Christ's reign. Galatians 3, verse 8 and 9. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Verse 14, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So it's those, isn't it, that become a part of the family of Christ. It ends up being fulfilled in the kingdom age. It becomes a blessing to look throughout the whole earth and Abraham to see those that have that same faith in his God as he had shown in his life. Well, Abraham, that's what I've told you. If you believe that, then you'll come out of Ur of the Chordes. And out of Ur of the Chordes he came. And the life of Abraham continues on for another 100 years. So at the age of 75, he was given that conditional promise. At the age of 175, he died. And during that 100 years is a journey of a man who was following his God and being tested at various points as to whether his faith really was strong enough to see through the trials of life. The first one, Genesis chapter 12. Uncle Andrew, uh, sorry, Andrew read it for us. Genesis 12. Having left Ur of the Kaldes, In verse 6, Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the plain of Moreh. And he came to the land of Canaan. God had led him there. God had said, This is the land that I'm going to give your seed. And this little phrase, I've always read wrong when I was younger, but I want you to understand it. Just put a little note into your margin. And the Canaanite was then in the land. He's not talking about Abraham. Abraham wasn't the Canaanite. It was the people that were already inhabiting the land that were the Canaanites. So Abraham, Abraham gets this call from his God, says, come out of Ur of the Cool I'll give you these blessings. Just follow me and I'll take you to a land that will become yours and you're going to possess it. And he does that. He journeys from Ur of the Cool right through the wilderness and comes to a land and looks at it and it's already inhabited by the Canaanites. What do you think you felt? It's a bit like saying I've got a new house, like the perks. got a new house ready for you in Australia. Come over from Canada. America, wherever they were. Canada, I think it was. we got it all fit here, ready for you. So over they come, new beauty. Ah, yeah, but there's someone already living in the house. So that's a slight problem. That's exactly what happened to Abraham. What do you think he thought? I've just put all my trust into God to pack up all my goods, to leave my family behind, to go to this place, and there's people already inhabiting it. Verse 7. And God appeared to Abraham and he says, and said, unto thy seed will I give this land. Even though it's already inhabited. Believe. Believe that unto your seed, your family, your descendants, I'm going to give this land. Sorry. So, we're just going to work through these promises. And if you, if you haven't got them coloured in in your Bible, these are the verses where God um, reiterates and, and, and encourages uh, Abraham to keep his faith through um, his life. So, we've had that conditional promise. Hopefully, you coloured that one in in Genesis 12, verse 2 and 3. This next little bit here in Genesis 12, verse 7, where God had to reassure him when he first came into that land that no, I've made this promise; it is going to happen. You will, you will inherit this land. Well, he goes through a bit of a traumatic time um, through Genesis twelve and thirteen, and ends up splitting from Lot, um, which was his uh, he had brought of his family from from Ur of the Chaldees, and Lot goes down and dwells in the cities on the plain. We know that in verse fourteen of Genesis thirteen, though. Abraham's left back up in the hills, the mountains, still in tents. So he's not dwelling in a city. He's the one that's dwelling in tents, this temporary abode where Lot chooses to go down and to draw closer to the more permanent abodes. And again, God comes next to Abraham and he reassures him in verse 14. Yahweh said unto Abraham after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I'll give it unto you. Okay, so... Here, God is saying to Abraham, look out over that land. And I know that you and your household are here not really possessing it, but I will give it to you. And it's going to be this physical land. You're going to be able to walk in it, verse 17. You're going to be able to feel it with your feet. You're going to possess it, you're going to have it forever. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Except God is introducing one little more thing into the test of Abraham's faith. What does forever mean? Because to a mortal person, you know that you're not going to live forever. To a man who's getting pretty old in life, well, he's 80, probably a little bit older, 90, around this sort of stage, He's looking out at a land which he hasn't really even started to possess as far as the Canaanites go. God just says, look, just have patience because you're going to inherit forever. But the mortal man will be saying, yeah, but when? When do I actually get to have this? When does my seed get to grow? How on earth are we going to conquer all these Canaanites? Have faith. Just wait. Your seed will inherit this land forever. Now, I've already looked at Hebrews 11 about a city whose maker would be of God, don't we? We know that God had made this, this promise of building cities that would endure forever for Abraham. Here it is being raised as a test in these promises for him to think about. Could he really have that patience with God? Well, Genesis 15 goes a little bit further. So Genesis 15, the next test comes into Abraham's life. Getting into his 90s. He doesn't even have a child. So what seed is going to inherit this land? As he gets older, and his wife gets older, and is barren, Surely if God has promised this land and descendants to fill this land, then it's getting past the time of it naturally being able to happen. And it becomes the perplexity of Genesis 15. But God speaks to him again in verse 5 to 7. And he brought Abraham forth, verse 5, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if they'll be able to number them. And he said unto Abraham, so shall thy seed be. And Abram believed in Yahweh and God counted it to him for righteousness. Now, let's just think about Abraham here. So obviously he's doubting the fact that he and Sarah are going to be able to produce this seed as they get older. God says, come out and look up. Look up where I dwell and count the number of the stars. Because this seed is going to have nothing to do with your power. It's going to have everything to do with the power of God who is in heaven. That's faith, isn't it? And so this one in verse 6, and you should just jot some little notes here to help you understand it. And Abram believed, that's faith, Abram believed in God, and God counted it, which is Abram's faith, to him for righteousness. Okay? So Abram believed, and God looked down at Abram and said, You're counted to be a righteous man because you're believing that even though you think it's impossible naturally for this to happen, that I will perform it. Now, just turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Just two passages, really, in the New Testament, there were, or three, I guess, if you include Hebrews that pick out about Abraham's faithfulness in believing despite these tests to his faith. And we spoke about him coming up against this this problem that he was getting older and believing that he was past the age of being able to produce a seed. In verse 18 of Romans 4, Abraham, who against hope, believed in hope. That's almost exactly the same as their definition for faith being the substance of things hoped for, isn't it? When everyone else doubted, Abraham still had hope and faith in God. He had hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old. Neither yet the barrenness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able to perform. And therefore, God counted him righteous. That's that Genesis 15 bit that we're talking about. So when he looked up and looked at the stars, he had all those doubts in his mind. But despite that, he staggered not. He believed that God would perform his promise. Now, verse 23, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. It wasn't just written down in the Bible that because Abraham showed this faith, he was counted righteous to make him feel good. No, it was written down also, verse 24, for us. To whom it shall be imputed, If we believe on God that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered from our offences and was raised again for our justification. So, Abraham, he believed his body was dead. He believed that Sarah's body was dead, but he believed that God could bring life. That's been written as an example of a faithful man so that we can look and think about the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross but believe that God brought him back to life. Not just that. We believe that his sins were forgiven and that he was raised a righteous man. Verse 25, raised again for our justification. And Not just him, but all of us can be raised as righteous if we have that hope in Christ. Okay, powerful, isn't it? Come back to Genesis 15, because now God goes on and says, look, I want to to make an oath with you, confirm this covenant. Verse 13, And Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. They shall serve them, they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou, verse 15, shall go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Well, there you go. Promise the land, come and inherit it, but, sorry, 400 years of trial to your seed and you're going to be buried and die at a good old age. So I'm glad that you heard my voice and came out of her of the Kaldes, but unfortunately, you're going to die. But it's okay because your seed will inherit it forever. How do you think Abraham felt? It's almost a letdown to him, wasn't it? Unless he could see that God had a purpose with him beyond his mortal life. And that's the challenge that Abraham had to believe all the way along, wasn't it? So here we have just a little picture, um, verse 18 to 21, that the land is defined as to what Abraham's seed will inherit. Today, on the left hand there, we've got Israel. This small little wedge, and pretty much that's what they've had as a land for most of their, their history. Of course, they had none for about yeah 2,000 years, didn't they? Today, they've they've got that again as a witness to us that God's being faithful to Abraham and his promise. But it's going to be much more than that. On the right there, that is the promised area to the nation of Israel, similar to the definitions that we get in Ezekiel when it speaks about the kingdom age. Come over to Genesis chapter 17. Now there's six of these um, confirmations of promise if you're wondering how long we're going to go for. <laughs> we're getting towards the end. In Genesis 17, Abraham is 90 years old, 99 years old, sorry, in verse 1. Again, he's perplexed about the fact that he hasn't given birth to a seed. He starts to work out how naturally they might be able to perform this. Can we use Hagar, the handmaid of Sarah? And God comes back to him he said, God says, no, 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 no. It's not going to be through any other woman. The seed that I've promised is going to be through your wife, Sarah. Verse 19, God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac, And I will establish my covenant with him, an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. So, once again, Abraham is being challenged to come back and trust that God is working to bring about his purpose. You notice through here the word everlasting and the word covenant are quite common, but in verse 7 is an everlasting covenant, in verse 8, An everlasting possession of the land of Canaan. In verse 13, an everlasting covenant. And we just read it in verse 19, an everlasting covenant. So again, Abraham is being challenged to think about the bigger picture, the forever picture. What is God's purpose in the greater plan of God rather than just limited to his own life? But in his own life, just trust. Just trust that God is creating this world and have faith. We turn over to Genesis chapter 18. In verse 17 and 18, God again appears to Abraham and said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become A great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. So, once again, Abraham's being told to think about the bigger picture the fact that God had promised that not just the land of Canaan, but the whole earth will end up being blessed by God because they choose to follow the faith of Abraham. Sorry, for those that didn't pick that up. So Romans 4, verse 13, just sort of speeding up a little bit, says very clearly that the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So quite clearly, when God promises the fact that all nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham, it's the whole world. It's the world that we know today. It's not limited It's the whole world. And that, of course, points us straight towards the kingdom age, doesn't it? Well, Genesis 22 is the last time that God speaks to Abraham in the form of these promises. The story of Genesis 22 is when God tells Abraham to take Isaac, having finally had this natural seed through Sarah, to take him to Mount Moriah, thine only son, it says it in verse 2 and in verse... Uh, 12 and in verse 16, take your only son and I'm asking you to offer him to me as a burnt offering. So this this only son, which which is the only heir that you've got, who is the only way that possibly a seed can be produced to start growing into a great nation, take him and offer him to me to show that you really believe and trust in me. And Abram does. Abram takes his only son. After all these, how many years have I said? 50 years since leaving the land of, of, of Ur of the Chaldees at 75. Now he gets to about the age of 130. And God says, I've told you all along and I've put all these little tests of your faith all the way along and now you've finally got the seed so that you can almost see a way that this is going to be performed. Take him and offer him to me as a burnt offering to show your faithfulness. And Abraham would have. Abraham would have taken his own son and offered him, believing that God in some way would have fulfilled those promises still that God had made to him. And God says, no, it's enough. You've shown me how faithful you are. You've shown me for the last 50 years how faithful you are and I've given you the ultimate test of your faith and you were prepared to believe that I had a purpose in that and would have worked through that to bring and to fulfill these promises that I've made to you. And so verse 16 to 18. God says, By myself have I sworn, saith Yahweh, for because that because thou hast done this thing and hast not beheld thy son, thine only son, then in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And he adds this little bit, which he hasn't added yet in any of his, his, his reaffirmations of the promise. Thy seed shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice, believed my voice. The possessing of the gates of his enemies, as I've got there up on the screen, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24 to 26. The main enemy of the seed of Abraham is mortality. Mortality is through sin, and that brings death. God says, I saw your faith. You don't have to offer your son because I'm going to offer my son to make sure that your seed will possess the gate of the enemy of death. That's God's last promise to Abraham. We know that will happen when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. He will conquer sin and death. And the whole earth will be filled with the seed of Abraham. People that have the faith in God. Willing to give their lives in whatever God asks them to do. Not only will the land of Canaan be inherited, but the whole world by people with that faith. You know, when we step back and look at the faith, Of Abraham, you realise that in those conditional promises, they were never going to be fulfilled in a mortal man. Right back at the beginning, Abraham was being challenged to look beyond his mortal life and to realise that God had a purpose that was greater than him. And when we come to Hebrews 11, these all died in faith not having received the promises, but seeing them all afar off. Because God promised them to them. God worked with them. God talked with them. He opened it up every step of their life. But it wasn't going to be fulfilled in mortal life. And it's just the same as us, brothers and sisters. The promises to us won't be fulfilled in this mortal life. The promises that we inherit through Christ and Abraham are in the life to come. And kids, that's why when Uncle Bruce shuts his eyes and goes to sleep, we can take hope as an ecclesia and as kids. Because we know that God's promise was actually never going to be fulfilled in Uncle Bruce in a mortal man. It's going to be fulfilled when Christ returns, when his body's changed, and when all those that are asleep in Christ rise from the dead and all nations of the earth will be filled with the seed of Abraham, the seed of the faithful, people who truly, truly, with all their hearts, just trust, and believe in their God.